Hello, Winding Paths listeners. Today I'm talking to Drew Amoroso. Drew is the CEO of DuCourse, a coaching platform for law firms that allows lawyers to find coaches who specialize in helping them in a variety of areas like well-being, leadership, business development, time management, wise mindsets, and so on. Drew and I get into the coaching craze and why it could be valuable to have someone encouraging and objective in your camp. Drew graduated from UC Davis Law School in 2010 and worked at Reed Smith for five years before leaving to start his own firm doing fitness law, whatever the hell that is. We'll talk about it briefly. After some time doing that, he started experiencing stomach pain for many weeks, a bad signal, and realized he wasn't doing what he wanted to do. Thus began his career in coaching and the journey that led him to founding Due Course. Drew also teaches a class called Practice Ready on being intentional about your legal career at a couple of law schools in California. Drew is going to join me in late January for a workshop on creating intention-driven routines. So if you want to join that, shoot me an email at joseph at excellentatlife.com. I will also publicize it in the Excellent at Life newsletter, which I hope to launch next week. That's the last week in December. You can sign up for that by emailing me as well, once again, at joseph at excellentatlife.com. Without further ado, here's Drew. Drew Amoroso, welcome to Winding Paths. Thanks for having me. Shit, the chance to be here. It's our pleasure. So, uh, Drew, what do you do now? Uh, so, uh, I am the uh, founder and CEO of a company called Due Course. And at Due Course, we have a platform that connects lawyers and law firms with uh, personal, professional, and business development coaches. So in a nutshell, um, if you are someone who's at a firm that subscribes to our platform, you can go on and search through and, and choose a coach to work with you on um, pretty much anything professional development related. So if you want to work on time management, uh, leadership, if you want to work on public speaking, um, if you are looking for business development uh, experience, we have coaches who are almost all of them are, are former practicing lawyers or who have worked in big law firms. So they know what it's like to be uh, in your shoes, but they're coaches now. Uh, so you can work with them directly. We also have some small group things where it's sort of like cohort based coaching. Um, but what we're really trying to do is <laughs> work with with attorneys in a way that really gets them excited about their career uh, and feeling like they're mapping their professional path forward with a level of intention. Um, so we work with uh, mostly primarily big law firms at this point, but we're also starting to move down into some some mid-law and small law opportunities as well. So your customer is someone in a big law firm and they're taking a subscription for a certain number of seats in the firm? Yeah. So um, our, our customer inside of the, the law firm is usually a, a, someone on the professional development team or uh, the chief of people at, you know, top right now, top 100 firms. Um, but yes, the, the end user would be the lawyers. So primarily we're working with associates right now. So junior, mid and senior level associates. Um, but the, the actual end user themselves are the lawyers who are, uh, uh, who are in those firms. Okay. So the firm will take a subscription, I assume for a certain number of seats or sessions. Yeah. So the, the firm will, yeah, the, it happens. There's a couple of different ways that it works. So they will either purchase sort of a, a package of coaching credits and so then they give a, a certain population inside of the firm the opportunity to go on and work with the coach. We also have uh, some cohort coaching uh, courses and other bigger programs that 
are focused on specific content. So a, a group of lawyers, for example, we have a course called the Foundations course where we take the entire incoming class of a, a big U.S. firm. So, you know, 50 or 60 associates across multiple offices, and we'll uh, walk them through what we just call blended learning uh, approach. So there'll be some micro content, but the core of it is also this consistent um, cohort coaching experience where we have three or four attorneys who are going through uh, uh, an eight-week course together as a unit. So there's a couple of different models for it. but uh, And those attorneys are in the same firm together or not necessarily? Yeah, they're in the same firm together. And depending on the type of content, we'll mix them up. So we'll switch them across practice groups or uh, offices, um, depending on what it is that we're working through. So I just mentioned the foundations course, which is for junior attorneys. But we also have a, a senior associate uh, leadership course, uh, which we call the forum. Uh, and then we have a, a mid-level management course, which we call uh, the management lab. And that's for, for mid-levels who are you know, starting to learn how to delegate up and, or excuse me, delegate down and manage up. Um, so it just sort of depends on the type of content that we're, that we're offering. And on the supply side, so you have a number of coaches that are available on the platform they've built relationships with. Yeah, we have a, about 50 coaches who are on the platform. And so these are people, as I mentioned before, they're, a lot of them are ex-lawyers. Uh, some of them still might practice a little bit here and there, but they've decided that they want to be coaches and trainers. And so one of the things that I, you know, that, that we are very um, uh, specific about is, you know, when a coach, so a coach applies to be on our platform, it's free for them to, to join. And we go through a, uh, an interview process with them to really learn about you know their background their their subject matter expertise um, before allowing them to be on the platform but one of the things that I think is really important about our our product and and that's really helpful when it comes to you know a, a very um, rewarding and valuable coaching relationship is having people who have actually been in your shoes before right there's I don't know how much you know about sort of the, the pro proliferation of, of coaching in the last few years, but coaching has really, really blown up a lot. I've seen that. We're getting to that next. Yeah, there's a lot of coaching. Coaching has kind of arrived um, and it's being now recognized as a really valuable personal and professional development tool. And, you know, as that starts to become more visible to people, I think, you know, and thinking about the coaching relationship for lawyers, it it's helpful to have someone who knows what it's like to be in your shoes you know day to day right it's it's a very unique experience now you could have a coach from outside of the profession who could help but it's much more valuable to have someone who who knows what it's like to really be able to pinpoint um you know pain points and also to work with you to map a path forward based on what it's like you know working in a in a big law firm in terms of the selection of a coach and the payment so <laughs> is it that if a law firm has a certain number of credits for example and a, an associate uses some of those credits that then you will pay per credit or a certain amount based on your arrangement with the coach, Right. that amount to the coach for that it, session? So the way it works, it, the, the actual, the details vary depending on the type of engagement, but in a nutshell, we match, we, we are a matchmaker in many ways for uh, lawyers on the one hand and then highly qualified coaches on the other hand. And so we're not a that the coaches are not our employees. Um, it's it's very much like a marketplace model, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with lots of lots of different models that fit into that bucket. But we are sort of the middle person who's connecting the the two of them together. 
My question was towards the compensation, whether there's two payment streams, meaning to the coach and then to you, or it's kind of one. We're sort of a marketplace, right? So we make the connection and then we take a, a portion of the fee based on how they made a connection. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's talk about the coaching renaissance. I was in working, you know, as a lawyer, uh, I did not you know, come across this, the coaching phenomenon all that much, but since I've come out, um, yeah, I, I've generally been networking a lot more and I see a lot of it and can see that this is becoming rather common. So yeah, give first, let's just, what, what does yeah. that landscape look like and yeah. how has it changed over the past five or 10 years? Sure. So for anyone who's, who's not familiar with it, with a coach, right, we would consider a coach the way we would define it is a coach is a co-active partner, right? They're, they're not necessarily a mentor. That's a little bit different. Um, but they are someone who can work with you to, uh, through a very, uh, uh, methodical, like very well thought out process to try to understand, you know, uh, what your motivations are, you know, what you're current, where you're currently at right now, and also where you want to, to be moving forward. Right. So a therapist would be someone who in many ways sort of is kind of looking backwards, right. And is working with you on other issues and trying to understand the root of some of the, the challenges that you might be facing. A coach is not a therapist. A coach is someone who in partnership with you is guiding you down a path to help you understand how to achieve set and achieve goals, um, how to create new habits and routines in your, your day to day. Um, and really there, there's someone who's there just to sort of listen to you, right? We don't really have as a, as professionals, we don't really have, um, disinterested people who are listening to us who are just there to sort of mirror back to us what's going on right um and i think the one of the reasons we've seen coaching sort of explode in the last few years is coaching used to be seen as remedial right like oh this person is struggling we should get them a coach but it's actually quite the opposite right you think about uh world-class athletes ceos right these very high performing people they have they have no less than two, three, four coaches at any given time who are helping them, right? So it's about really growing into a, a new and different and, and better version of your professional self. And the generations, from a generational standpoint, uh, attorneys who are entering the field and who are, you know, rising up the ranks, they are seeing that this is actually something that is works, right? <laughs> they're more open to having to letting someone in to talk about some of the challenges that they're facing. Um, so we've been, I started do course in 2018 and we started, you know, almost four years ago having this model where we would have a coach work with attorneys and over the years I've really seen it grow and it is, it's exploding right now as a really excellent way to, uh, foster behavior change, right? So training, right. We've all been to trainings before where you, you go and you're there for an hour and you have a workshop and trainings are, are great to a point, but training is really the exchange of information. I hear something from you and I think, okay, that's great. Right. But unless I'm really motivated, unless I have like a vehicle to implement that change as an attorney or, you know, a busy professional, I go back to my desk and I, you know, immediately respond to the 20 emails I missed while I was at the, the training. Right. So coaching just gives you this this vehicle and this model for actually taking new information and being accountable for practicing it and setting it into motion and changing your behavior. The way I see it is we, you know, we're messy as humans. We have lots of ideas and directions and uh, habits and our ways of doing things. And just 
having it all in your head and you being the only person that you're kind of shaping your reality together with yes can be very very limiting and having that this kind of interested but impartial yeah. uh party that's invested in you and doesn't have a relationship with anyone else there to kind of give you feedback and input and course corrections and calibrations and just push back gently yeah is just you know something that can be very very valuable and supportive and very effective in my experience yeah some a lot of times in my experience we have a lot of the answers that we need day to day right we sort of we kind of know what to do um and so a coach oftentimes will help like reduce a lot of the noise right, that's going on on top of that answer right um and they also they they give you the the tools to sort of figure it out on your own, right? Or to go through a, a discovery process where you figure it out on your own, which is really, which is very, very helpful because it also starts to empower you on a day-to-day basis to make decisions from this new way of, uh, from a new way of, of thinking. Um, and, and like I said, we don't really have a lot of people who can hold that space for us, right? Without sort of interjecting their own things into it, right? Uh, so that's, it's a really, really powerful part of, of the coaching process is just having that person who is there to listen to you can be a mirror for you and give you some ideas about how you can actualize the, you know, your own next steps. So what are some more particular issues or challenges that somebody might look to work with a coach for? Sure. Um, I think there's many, many buckets. Um, you know, if you're talking about uh, newer attorneys, right. A lot of times, you know, you think about, what a new attorney, the experience that a new attorney walks into in a, in a large firm, um, there's a lot of new inputs to manage, right? And for, for many people, this was me included too, I never worked in an environment like that. So trying to manage, uh, trying to understand and manage expectations, trying to understand how to communicate effectively in an environment like that, trying to manage my own workday, right? Set up boundaries around uh, my day, prioritize wellness, Hey, how do I, um, how do I communicate with people about things that I'm interested in? How do I, you know, network my way into a group of, of people uh, at the firm that I want to work with and, and, uh, work streams that I want to work on, right? Those are all things that a coach could help to give you some perspective on how to do that. And then as you rise up, you know, as, as a mid-level, um, you're in sort of a management role where you're learning how to delegate some things down and manage some, some, uh, associates, but also you're becoming much more of an integral part of what's happening uh, up the chain, right? So you're starting to manage up a little bit as well. And then um, as a senior, you know, leadership, um, you're, you're truly leading teams. So how do you lead teams day to day, week to week? How do you communicate expectations? If it is your intention to make partner, how do you position yourself in a, in a way where you are someone who's, you know, who um, is attractive for the partnership? Uh, how do you develop business, right? A lot of these things, because of the way that uh, the way that uh, the day to day goes in in practice, right? We just don't really make a lot of time for those things, right? We don't really carve out time uh, with intention to review those things, and so coaching can really help you, as said, for sort of create a space for these very important things that are you know non billable, right? That just generally don't make it in into our day to day. Those just a couple of examples, but wellness, you know, across the board, pretty much anything from a professional development standpoint, we have coaches who can help people work on that. A high level, I, I see it as a 
uh, a step towards being more self-directed uh, mm-hmm. and that can look that can be on many different fronts you know such as management or you know time management or managing other people or leadership or you know negotiating around your where you're situated vis-a-vis a partnership but they're all ways of kind of proactively taking ownership for your capacity to shape yes. your own life yes. i think is another way to frame it yeah uh, absolutely I, I couldn't agree more and you know my high level if we're talking about motivations you know my high level goal with due course has always been i i want people to understand that there's a path forward for them where they can you know enjoy the work that they that they do right they're you're allowed to be happy at work okay work we have this i was listening to one of your your guests um from a previous podcast and they were talking about something similar which is you know there's sort of this this narrative that well work has to suck work has to be terrible right i'm doing it wrong or something's wrong if i'm actually enjoying what i'm doing <laughs> seriously like wait sort of you're sort of looking over your shoulder like okay when's the other shoe gonna drop but that is a that's a cultural sort of narrative that uh we all have to deal with and particularly in the legal industry right it's sort of everyone who goes into it has this understanding that it's going to be terrible and that you just it's almost like walking in there with a backpack full of rocks really it's what it's like you just carry this backpack around with you you know throughout your career and i i want people to understand that they do have agency they have the ability to shape their their career um inside of of the organizations that they work with that you can use a level of intention right and purpose to really shape the things that you do and also to kind of break down some of the assumptions that we make about what other people expect of us and how it how it has to be right um and there's just a lot of sort of myths that float around that we all kind of agree you know to to buy into i want people to know that it doesn't have to be that way right you can have you can have it all you can have challenging work, you can meet your financial goals, you can um, you can help people, and you can do f- fantastic work, and all of those can work uh, in unison. But that's just not really what we've all been taught as <laughs> as a- attorneys, right? It's just it's part of the the culture. It feels uh, somewhat modern and twenty first century to me, in mm-hmm. the sense that. Uh, you know, in the traditional law firm, you kind of walked along the track right. that existed. Uh, and, you know, you grew into that particular track, which meant taking over client relationships uh, and, you know, managing the firm and so on. But uh, it wasn't uh, this push to kind of really develop agency and, you know, push out this way, push out that way and see what happens mm-hmm. if you pull this, what happens if mm-hmm. you pull this, what happens if I say, oh, I don't want to work on that particular work stream or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Uh, is is a bit of a, I, I think, a 21st century consciousness. And I think that it's a bit of a challenge for law firms to adapt in a way that allows people greater agency uh, while at the same time being very important because we've seen the major retention issues. And a big part of that is people's sense of control over their own destiny right. uh, and desire to, you know, be somewhat uh, an agent to some right, degree. Right. Yeah. It, it, right now it's, it's very much a new concept that's kind of permeating, I think the culture. Um, and you know, it is a little bit of a dance because there are, there will always be things just in any job, right? The job that you have, Joseph, you know, my career, there's always things that aren't, you know, that you 
uh, you sort of have to put up with or that aren't the way that you want to do or not your not your favorite thing, perhaps. Um, but inside of the, inside of that structure, I do really think, and I have seen this in action with a lot of our clients, there are ways for people to grow into a space where they are really enjoying what it is that they do. And if you think about the things that, you know, help people stay longer at, at work, uh, you know, that prevent them from leaving, that help them show up and be more uh, efficient and engaging, right? Doing excellent work. It's feeling like you have a sense of purpose, right? Feeling like you're fulfilled, feeling like people care about you, like you've been heard and seen. Those are the things. And if you look at this, you know, some of the, the uh, surveys and other things that are coming out, like pe- money is not money is not it anymore, right? Money just isn't as important to, to people as it used to be. It's some of these other day-to-day experiential things, right? Am I doing thing? Am I doing valuable work? Do I feel supported? Um, do I feel like this, this place of work really cares about me? Those are the things that people are reporting back that they, um, that are those, those are things that are meaningful, right? And coaching is a really nice vehicle to help everyone in that ecosystem win. Maslow's hierarchy, as we've become, uh, you know, more taken for granted more that we'll have enough to live on, Mm -hmm. the luxury of reflecting on who we are and what we're doing and self-actualization becomes more and more prominent. Uh, And I think the distance between those who struggled and those who, you know, have all their physical needs as it grows, you know, it's not first generation immigrants, the average person, but they're second generation or even third generation mm-hmm. or more. Mm-hmm. That is no longer uh, just the security of the paycheck mm-hmm. is no longer enough mm-hmm. to keep people in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the reports are coming back a lot now that, you know, um, money just isn't why people are switching switching jobs, right? They're not going necessarily because it's a higher paying job. A lot of people are actually taking pay cuts because they, they want a different day-to-day experience. And you're right. They, uh, they know that that's available to them. And so there's other considerations that they, that they factor in. Yeah. And culture is one of the huge things, culture and belonging Mm -hmm. of which, you know, agency and self-direction is, is a, an integral part of is, in, very visibly important, kind of one of the beyond after compensation is sufficient. The number one reason why people leave places, and I think in that regard, law firms, uh, you know, have never been particularly culture forward. Yes, uh, they they kind of rely on this professional courteousness and collegiality, but the idea of warmth and deep friendship and social ease and light laughter mm-hmm. you know those things are not exactly mm-hmm. the norm of a, in a law firm culture as opposed to you know in in many companies in corporate america where that kind of lightness amongst colleagues is actually normal yeah yeah i think there's um you know the, uh, if you look at what it is that lawyers do i mean we're charged with a lot of responsibility um and uh we we have duties right to our, our clients and to court and other and and others and so it's I think that as a starting point it's hard to see how that you know some of those responsibilities right can can also coexist with some of the other things that you're talking about right <laughs> like sometimes they just seem to be sort of in in competition with one another but um, I have seen this happen in, in firms that we've worked with those two can live side by side together, right? You can be a serious, you know, high-performing attorney who meets all of your your deadlines. Uh, and you also can be someone who contributes to 
the the groups that you work on, right, to the growth of the firm, to you know increasing uh, diversity and awareness, and um, you know addressing other important social issues, right? All of those things can coexist, but again, there has to be intention behind it, and there has to be sort of a buy-in from all the different stakeholders that this is how we're going to approach it. So. It's it, the wheels are starting to turn. I see them starting to turn at that level, and I'm um, um, I'm very optimistic about where it's headed. There's a lot of work to do, but that's what that's what we're here for. I mean, we we want to do our part in that. So and that that gets me really excited. Yeah, uh, it, it's very important work. You know, people spend their mo- huge amount of their lives at work mm-hmm. and to the extent that those environments are wholesome and friendly and warm and hospitable um that is a profound service to mm-hmm. the people working in the environment mm-hmm. and to the extent they're tense or there's a lot of anxiety and hesitation and is this a stupid question uh and can i make a suggestion and that lasts for many years, you know, yes. that has an existential cost mm-hmm. and uh, there is profound value in shifting uh, mm-hmm. so that, you know, those costs are not there um, because they're, they're really ashamed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, so uh, you went to law school. I did. And <laughs> have a story as to how you got here. So. Yeah. Yeah. So take us back. Why did you go to law school? Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in Pennsylvania in a really small town in rural Pennsylvania and went to a small undergrad, uh, a liberal arts university out there. And then um, I'd spent my entire life in a kind of a, a you know, 100 mile radius, more or less. And um, I decided to go to, to law school at, at Davis, which was on the you know, complete opposite end of the country um, and really loved that that experience davis was a phenomenal law school to go to you know to be honest with you joseph the thinking back about what my motivations were they seem so just um inconsistent with the way that i make decisions now <laughs> you know I'd, i'm not really sure what i was thinking at that point i think i had you know i uh i had one or two lawyers in my community who i looked up to um i was an english major um, and so I think that at the time I was really interested in a challenge and in a profession that would expose me to other opportunities, but I was not very purposeful really in, in just, you know, in deciding like my very specific reason why, um, which I think a lot of attorneys, you know, uh, make a decision, a similar decision without, um, you know, going through the, the full exercise of, of trying to understand the purpose behind it. Um, yeah, but anyway, I'll say uh, I yeah. have no freaking idea why I yeah. went to have a, yeah. an honest world and an opportunity to have real conversations. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it just seems so, so like such a long time ago. I, you know, I, it's hard for me to even kind of recall. Um, but I went to Davis and then I, I graduated and um, right out of law school started as an associate at uh, Reed Smith in their San Francisco office and was doing financial services litigation. And I, I actually, I love my, my experience at Reed Smith. They're a phenomenal law firm. Um, the people I worked with were great. I felt really supported there as an associate. And this was starting back in 20, 2011, 2012. Um, I worked for about five years. And then I, um, I started around 2014, 2015 to come into a pocket of uh, clients who were uh, emerging fitness brands, so fitness entrepreneurs and uh, fitness uh, uh, fitness company founders who were early on in their 
uh, in their the building of their careers. And I realized that no one was really talking to this specific demographic. So it would be people like supplement, young supplement companies, uh, gym owners, uh, people who are fitness innovators and stars on Instagram, things like that. So I started a little niche practice at Reed Smith that I was calling fitness law. And fitness law is not a real saying. I completely made it up. There's no fitness law, you know, curriculum anywhere. Uh, but I just, I started calling myself a, a fitness law attorney. And I'm, I assume it means the constellation of issues that, you know, somebody might face in, yeah. in setting a gym, up a gym yeah. and right. a training business and liability. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like startup law for emerging fitness brands, really. It was more brand focused. It was, there's no, I mean, there are very few issues that are fitness related. Um, but yes, you're right. It was really. Don't a, worry, the regulators are coming. Yeah, they'll get I'm, you eventually. Uh, yeah, there's. Yeah, a lot of that world is is still very unregulated. Um, so I I started that that practice there, and then decided, you know, I really I wanted to do that full time. So I left and I started my own law firm that I called Move Legal, and at Move Legal we represented uh, fitness innovators exclusively. I did that for about nine months to a year, and then I had this this deep hanging pain in my stomach that I woke up with for probably five to six weeks in a row where I would just get up and it was so, so hard for me to, to get out of bed, to just do the basic things I had to do in order to, to keep going. Um, and I realized that I didn't want to practice law anymore. Uh, and that was a tough decision for me to make because I had spent, you know, the last year and a half championing fitness law, <laughs> starting my own firm, get, you know, my, you know, bringing in clients. And it was an identity crisis. Really. I, on the one hand, I had always been an attorney and had always been pursuing this for, you know, almost 15 years or 12 years, I guess at the, at the time. And then realized that that was no longer who I wanted to be. So I had a, a an identity meltdown essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I, within a span of like two or three weeks, I wound up my firm. I got my clients all um, shifted to other to other counsel to help them, and I went through this like very low period where I was trying to figure out what it was I I wanted from my you know my life, and I remember yeah. one defining moment where I was in my apartment in San Francisco. I cleared off all the pictures off of one of the walls, and I put up this big long sheet of of paper, and started writing uh, these headings like What am I good at? Where do I have credibility? Who do I want to help? Uh, what kind of lifestyle do I want? How much you know money do I need to make in order to have that kind of a lifestyle? And I just started to write over the course of a few days, like things you know, up on the sheet of paper. And as I kind of chiseled down, I I realized that for me, the most rewarding times for me were times when I was coaching uh, it very informally at the time. Other people in my network, lawyers in my network, um, and I that was like the initial thought for me was, wow, I, wouldn't it be amazing to have uh, to be able to bring coaching to the legal industry, the legal space. And I was starting to get coached at that time myself and was starting to see the power of, of, of coaching. And so I decided to start my, um, decided to start do course, um, in 2018. So that was the, the sort of the Genesis story for, um, you know, moving through that, that process. So uh, a couple of things. Uh, first, the question I wanted to ask you before is, were you ashamed when you kind of said, hey, I'm going to drop this? Or did you, did you 
experienced some embarrassment that you had taken on this new initiative that people knew about and you're going to pause? And, and how did you work not to succumb to that? Yeah. Uh, if yes. It's a big yes. It's cap capital Y, capital E. <laughs> I felt shame, right? I felt like an imposter. I felt like, you know, people would say, well, what do you, you know, what are you going to do? How's it going to work? And I had no idea. And I felt the deepest level of shame. Um, I remember riding around with um, one of my friends at the time who was an attorney and we went to law school together and we were headed somewhere. And it was right around the time when I had made a decision to, to wind up my firm and I still didn't know what I was doing. And I, I was telling him the story about, yeah, I think I want to start a business, you know, from scratch where I just coach people and I'm not sure I want to maybe do a platform at some point. And I could feel him. I could feel his, he was like, like tensing up. Like I could feel him, his anxiousness, right? Because I didn't have it figured out. You know, I didn't know what it was. And, um, and I, I remember a lot of stories like that where I would tell people from my friends from law school, people at the firm. And not only was I feeling that way, but then they would sort of, their stuff was, I was also feeling you know, their reaction to it too. Um, so that was a really, really very hard, very hard for people to, to hold that space cleanly without yeah. getting very uncomfortable. Exactly. In turn. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, that was, it was very, very challenging, but you know, at the center of it, and this, I do remember very clearly was this feeling like it was the right thing for me to do. It was hard to describe, but I almost felt like, you know, almost like sort of the classic example of like this, you know, a, how a butterfly is, you know, is created, right? You sort of, you're in the cocoon and you, it's jelly. And I just felt like I, I was going through this phase where I was breaking everything down and reformulating myself. And I knew at every step that it was the right path for me, despite the fact that I didn't know exactly what it was. And that was a, as a founder, that was a very hard thing for me to do was you know, figure out how to hold space for both of those things, right? This belief that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, but also acknowledging like, this is hard. <laughs> it's okay for me to feel that way. And I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but that's, that doesn't, the first one was, was always much stronger than the second one. And that's what has kept me, you know, going this entire time. It's kind of akin to if you want to work out or run a marathon or do something physically strenuous or be in shape in general, you have to learn to lean into the discomfort mm -hmm. and not be overwhelmed by it mm -hmm. and just push against it and even learn to enjoy it if you really want to thrive and be ultimately, you know, make it over the long run. Mm -hmm. It's it's similar but harder to realize on the internal side. There is a lot of discomfort and social conditioning and uh, you know, catering to people's expectations and people pleasing yeah. that we all do as a matter of habit. And there's tremendous discomfort uh, and very strong feelings and sensations, some of which are very, very subtle and hard to really catch mm -hmm. if you're not really attending carefully. And they control a huge part of our lives. And in order to really be self-directed and ultimately, you know, dictate the terms of your own life, mm -hmm. You do need to learn to uh, experience that discomfort or challenging emotion and lean into it and not be 
governed by it. Yes. And many people, yes. it's way too <laughs> overwhelming for. Yeah. Uh, that shame is really powerful. Yeah. Uh, you know, whenever I think about, hey, should I really be doing this? Or am I kind of still trying to pursue success rather than my own calling? Yes. It's like, how the hell is it going to look if I drop this? <laughs> ah! <laughs> I know. I know. And I, so for, from what I understand about your, your audience, right? Uh, uh, many people who are potentially listening are going through a similar thought process, right? You've always known yourself to be something, right? Or you, you know, have always, you're good at this, but it just doesn't, there's something about it that isn't, just isn't really working for you. That is a, there are all sorts of things that are layered on top of, uh, right, of, of that, um, that belief or that feeling, right? Social norms, you know, what your parents, things your parents said to you, you know, your clients, your colleague, like everything, right? Uh, your, your family obligations, your financial obligations. And so it is a, it is a very tough thing to start to come to a place where you realize that you not only can you, that you can be something else, but that you're allowed to be something else. Like you're allowed to do that. <laughs> you don't ha- you don't need anyone else's permission. No one is actually watching you as close as you think they are, right? We're all like, well, what is so-and-so going to think? But so-and-so is going to, you know, think about your situation for a little bit. And then they're going to go back to thinking about them themselves, right? For, they're for- going to go back to thinking about what other people are going to think about them. Yeah, it's just, and so we have this like very skewed perception of, you know, what actually matters and how much other people are paying attention but one of the things I love about our about to course and what I've been able, you know, to, to do over the last four years mm-hmm. is we get to help people to come to a place of really kind of working through these things so that they can understand, you know, what it is that helps them show up at their best, right? The coaching process is all about this, like recognizing, well, what are the things that are getting in my way of thinking differently day to day about myself, right? And how, how I operate you know, and what, what I want. Um, I will say this path for me was, I mean, I, I'm very energetic. I have a lot of enthusiasm for what it is that we, that we do, but I have, you know, I have coaches that I work with in all different capacities. I have gone through a lot of therapy. Uh, I have done a lot of things to really get to a place where I have a certain set of tools that I could use to continually work on myself, you know, each and every day. Right. So my, this business doesn't grow unless I grow personally, right? Like I will hit my head up against the ceiling. I'm like, oh, it's time for me to grow on a certain issue. So it is really this idea of like this continual growth process. And there are always new things to sort out and to think through. Um, but that's for me that that's ultimately rewarding, right? That's what I want from my career. I want a career that is, uh, is, has that, has those challenges and then has the rewards on the other, on the other side. I'll tell you one thing real quick. This might be a little bit gruesome, but I'm going to tell you anyway, I have this thing. We may have talked about this before Joseph, but it's called the deathbed test. And so when I'm trying to make a decision about something that I want to, to do, that seems, you know, scary or uncertain, I picture myself lying, you know, in my deathbed, like I'm at an, at an advanced stage, my family standing around me, I'm, you know, about to, to pass and I'm like revisiting my life, like thinking about like, okay, well, what did I do with my life? And for me, if I can picture myself in that moment being like satisfied that I took this on, right? Yes, I tried to do that. I 
know, try to do something new. Maybe I fell on my face, but it was, it was worth it. Um, that has actually been an incredible indicator for me to really get down to the true, my true self, right. When making decisions and trying to wipe away, wipe away a lot of the friction and other stuff that might cloud my judgment. So a little bit of like a, 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 um, a dark, uh, test, but actually, I think it's actually could be really has a lot of light involved in it too. Um, yeah, uh, it doesn't seem dark to me. In that conversation, we probably discussed, you know, the fact that death is a fact of life, and there's yeah. this kind of exercise of denial that all humans engage in on a continuous basis. When you know the fear that drives all other fears to a large extent is death. Um, and uh, if you can't, if you take it seriously, uh, the earlier you take it seriously, the more driven to really leave, live the deepest, richest, most empowered life you can, mm -hmm. you will be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think too about this comes, in, I think this comes into play when you're talking about, you know, wanting to switch a career or, um, you know, do something different. It's, in my view, you have to attach value to each piece of that, right? Or a purpose, right? It's your, it's your classic, like a why statement, right? So a lot of people that I'll work with or, or people that I know will, you know, they will sort of go somewhere where there's more money, right? But the question is, well, what do you want that money for? <laughs> like, is it just to have money? But if you like go down and say, okay, well, how much money do I really need? Like, what's important to me? How much money do I really need? in order to, to have, you know, to have those things that I want, the experiences and to add value. And I think a lot of times that we sort of have a skewed perception of what it actually means to, you know, to be happy and to live day to day. Um, so if you can figure out a way to make yourself happy day to day, right, generally, then that's it. Like you've done it, you're there, right? There's no, you don't have to reach and grab for a whole bunch of, of things. Uh, it's it's already there. So not to get too you know existential with it, but I, I do think that that's a really important part of this for anyone who's thinking about making a change. You have to go back to the very basics. You know, what do I care about? How do I want to spend my time? What makes me happy? Right? Who are who are the people I want to help? Right? Those are really foundational questions that I think help to sort a lot of the other questions that uh, or answer a lot of the questions that will come later. You examine life, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. <laughs> okay, so catch us up. You decide uh, you go to pursue the coaching direction. Yeah. Until uh, today, you got three minutes to yeah. catch us through those four years. How would you start? How would you get to? Uh, what were the steps along the way? Yeah, so I, I basically had a my own was doing my own coaching company by myself for a while. Then uh, decided I wanted to. It was working, and really wanted to have a you know, take a swing at, at having something big that could help a lot, a lot of people in the way that I was being helped. So did you get a certification or did you just start I, I, telling people you were coaching? I just started, yeah, I just started coaching and it really was doing, I was doing training and some other things, um, and was helping people primarily with how to improve their, uh, their work day. Um, and then that grew into this idea for a platform. And I, uh, I ended up, uh, coming into touch with a guy named Ali, who is now my co-founder. Um, he, is back of house and I'm front of house. And so we've, you know, we've created a platform together. Um, and all the while I've been doing a lot of education on the value of coaching. Um, and so our, over the years, we started to build some courses and also, uh, you know, come into contact with other coaches 
and offer these these longer trainings um, and at the same time build the, the platform in the background. So uh, right now we have um, we have about six people that we uh, work with. Some are, are part time, um, but we've, as I was mentioning before we started, we've really hit a point of growth um, just recently because coaching is coaching is where it's at. Coaching helps people. Um, it's it's really starting to catch on. It is so much fun. Truly, it's so much fun for me to get up each day and uh, to help to contribute to um, people coming to a better understanding of of what it's like to. Uh, to, to work and to to enjoy their career, so we're we're growing. We have we have big plans, but um, it's been uh, for me over the years. It's been very much holding like a very clear uh, picture of what I who I want to help, and a lot of the other stuff has just sort of worked itself out. That is beautiful. Now, uh, our last question: yeah. What advice would you give to somebody? currently in law school or just graduating yeah. or considering going to law school? Yeah. Uh, so I would, so I'm actually an adjunct professor at a couple of law schools uh, and have been for a few years. So I work with two L's and three L's. Um, I what do you teach there? What are the subjects? Just yeah. So I, I actually created a course um, and it's called a practice ready seminar. And so I'm just made it up from scratch basically. But the idea is it's all focused on how to, uh, design your career with intention or start to be intentional about your career while you're in law school. So we go through different modules on, you know, understanding your why, how to build a professional network, um, what are limiting beliefs and how do you address those? How do you manage your day? How do you build professional networks? Things like that. Um, and I love that. I teach at a couple of law schools in the Bay Area. Um, but I think in, in terms of advice, I would say you really have to, it's okay to change your mind right? So if you come in and you have an, an initial idea of what it is that you want to do, it's, it's good to, to start with something. Talk to as many people as you can. Try to get an understanding of what it's actually like day to day to work inside of a, of a law firm or to, to practice law in, in whatever capacity that might be. But you also have to be open to the possibility that it's okay for that to change, so you have to really pursue whatever it is that you think is your conception of what you want right now. And you have to pursue that with intention, but also at the same time, be open to that changing. And it's okay if it flips, right? So I think what happens is people come in, they get so focused on having to make these like these big decisions and there's pressure. And oftentimes we, you know, just sort of submit to what everyone else is doing, right? Or we pick something that is, you know, we don't know anything about just so that we you know, there's no uncertainty, right? But it's okay to have some uncertainty, right? We have to look it in the face. We have to acknowledge it or else you will go through your entire life just making reactive decisions that are not purposeful or driven by purpose. So my advice would be to to investigate, you know, as much as you can, learn as much as you can about the different areas that you, that you are interested in. Um, find a mentor, someone that you trust who you can talk these things through. And just take it easy on yourself. You can you can switch careers, right? You can change your mind um, and try to find something that really fills you up. Because if you're happy day to day, you enjoy what you're doing. A lot of this other stuff, you know, the money and and other stuff, it will fall into place. But being happy with what you're doing and and pursuing a career that is that fills you up and that's purposeful is will sustain you over the, the course of your career, even if you change. Uh, what that looks like in terms of your day-to-day -day practice. 
That's amazing advice. Yeah. Uh, I think the notion that we should know what we're doing, what yeah. we to do at the ripe old age of <laughs> yeah. 18, right. 22, 25, having seen, you know, all the vastness right. of the world that, right. you know, one sees by that age. Yeah. It's just so profoundly ridiculous. Yeah. You barely have enough brain to have a modicum of self-awareness, let alone know who you are and right. what, where your kind of life is best lived. Yeah. And so... If only we could shift the norm so that are we socially, it's valid mm -hmm. and seen as expected mm -hmm. that it's an exploration mm -hmm. and it takes time. And like you say, you commit, it's like strong opinions, softly held, strong intentions, strong direction, mm -hmm. softly held. Exactly. And then where it's okay not to know and to pivot and change. And yeah. we just have this, we force each other to put on this facade of i know my freaking direction yeah. i have no freaking idea yes. and i'm terrified yeah it's it, it is it's absolutely acceptable it's actually very normal um you know it, if you think about we have to embrace inconsistency that's the issue because if you think about the definition of growth right growth in and of itself by definition means you are uh you are an inconsistent version of yourself, you know, each day you're, you're a little bit different from who you were the day before. And it's healthy to do that. It's really healthy. It's okay. Not many people talk about it, but it is, um, it's, it's what we should be talking about, right? We make decisions based on pressure that is unnecessary, I think. Um, and the, I think the way that we address this in law school really carries through, you know, it, through someone's practice, right? So the more we can start to talk about that at the law school level, I think we'll see a lot of people being much more open to that possibility as they move through their career, which is another one of the, the things that I hope for and am hopeful about. Awesome. Drew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Joseph. Appreciate the opportunity. Hello, Winding Paths listeners. If you're still with me, that means you probably enjoyed the episode. So you know what I'm going to ask you to do, right? Man, you're sharp. You're sharp. I hope they're paying you well. Please scroll down or do whatever finger movements necessary in your podcast app and give me that five-star review. And once again, Drew is going to join me in late January for a workshop on creating intention-driven routines. So if you want to join that, show me an email at joseph at excellentatlife.com. That's also where you should send any questions, suggestions, criticism, or guest recommendations as well. You can also connect to me on LinkedIn and chat with me there. In the meantime, may you walk your own winding path well.